you will this morning turn to our text, which is, as I mentioned earlier, found in Matthew 21. And our text we're going to focus in on is verse 9 this morning. It's Matthew 9, Matthew 21, verse 9. And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Let us pray. O Lord, how great Thou art, how merciful Thou art, how long-suffering Thou art toward us. I pray, O Lord, and thank Thee, Lord, for this hour that Thou hast brought us to. I pray that You would bless this time and anoint it, Lord, with Thy Spirit. We thank Thee, Lord, for the Word that Thou hast provided. We pray, O Lord, that You would bless it to our souls. I pray this morning for our pastor as he is sitting at home. I pray, Lord, that You would minister to his every need. I thank thee, Lord, that thou hast brought him through what thou hast brought him through this week, that you are strengthening him daily. Continue to give him strength and his wife strength to take care of him. And, Lord, may you continue to minister to him as only thou can. I pray, O Lord, now in this hour that you would meet us here, that you would draw our hearts to thee, that you would draw them away from this world. We pray and ask these things according and asking them in the name of thy Son, Jesus Christ. For this I ask in his name. Amen. It's really an amazing text that we have before us this morning. The multitudes. Amongst these multitudes were a group of people, as, as Paul referred to, are the elect. There are people in this group right here that are saying these words. And that's not hard to understand. That when they heard that Jesus was coming back into Jerusalem, and, and this is the final week that he would enter in to Jerusalem before he would lay down his life, that they were shouting these words and they were saying, Hosanna. And Hosanna means, please save us. It can also be interpreted as rescue us. Their hearts were knit together to cry out for this one that was coming into the city. They were crying out for him to save them. They wanted a king. They believed that they had a king. And then just four short days afterwards, many, if not all of these that were standing by the side, would say, crucify him would say, we want Barabbas. Four days. Brother Paul hinted on it in his sermon. He talked about the two natures that we have in us. He talked about the, the new nature that never sins. That's Christ in us, the hope of glory. And then there's the old nature that never gets better and never does anything good. And that forms that warfare that we have all of our days of our lives and as i think about this text this morning and i think about where it sits and i think about those people as they cried out saying hosanna to the son of david blessed is he that comes in the name of the lord hosanna in the highest i think about that's what we are in our new nature we're praising lord the lord constantly We desire more of Him. We feel His love. We're constrained by His love. We have His faith to believe. We have His hope to believe in the resurrection. We have His life implanted in us that we live every day walking and doing according to as He has walked before us. 
And as I said, this is very indicative. I don't really care this morning about the ones who are in the crowd that were not as children. I do care about those ones who were. For in four days, as I said, they'll experience that King Jesus is not who they thought He was. So they thought. And that's examining for us today when we get there this morning. I'm going to ask you that question. Is King Jesus who you want Him to be in your life? Is He the King of your life? So let's go to back to the text or back to the passage that I read this morning. And I want to hint on some things that were coming up to that time when we get to our text. And we'll start in verse 2 when Jesus gives the command to go into the village and straightway you shall find an ass tied and a colt with her. This is the only one of the four Gospels that mentions both of them. The colt and the ass. The other three Gospels mention just one donkey. Just one. And we're not going to argue about that because truly the donkey is representing all of mankind. So we have no issue with two of them being said here, one the Jews, one the Gentiles, whatever it is, the rightful purpose of that donkey and the purpose of that donkey is to carry the Lord Jesus in, meaning he's under Christ. Christ is to be over the donkey. That is the purpose of the donkey. Christ to show forth that he sits and reigns above the donkey. When he came into Jerusalem, he came to lay down his life. He was not a victim that it would be taken from him. It wasn't a victim and he wasn't someone that this happened outside of the will of God. And we'll see that today. This was all in the perfect plan of salvation. And as Jesus came in, he said, Straightway you shall find an ass tied and the colt with her. Loose them and bring them unto me. And if any man say aught unto you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them. Now I believe it's Luke's gospel, at least Luke's gospel does, says that that does take place. As they're taking the donkey, as they're taking the, the animal back with them, one comes out and says, What do you have need of him for? So Christ and His omniscience and all that He knew and all that He had planned, that's one thing we can't miss in these little details, that there's nothing outside of the will of God happening here. Every minute detail, everything that Jesus lays out for His disciples, He's telling them what's going to happen, and it's fulfilled the way He says it's going to be fulfilled. And, they, and, it, and that's what happened. They came out and they said, why do you have aught with this donkey? And they told him, and the man let him have him. And he brought him back to Jesus. And, he, and that's what the Lord said. He says, tell him the Lord has need of them, and straightway he will send them. He's made willing in the day of the Lord's power. That is, that is a picture for us. It is a picture for our new nature that's always made willing in the day of the Lord's power. You and I have that struggle every day. We have that struggle with... Good and evil, we have that struggle with what that old nature is in us. How can the new nature win? Christ told us that. First, Satan must be bound and he must be cast out. And the old nature must be put down. And then Christ exalts the new nature. He's the power within to do so. He is the, the hope of glory. He is the one in us that fortifies us, that strengthens us, that leads us, that, that takes us in the way that is himself. 
He is the way, the truth, and the life. He becomes that, or He is that, to every child of God. So as this is the Lord has need of them, and straightway He will send them. And then verse 4 tells us, All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek and sitting upon an ass, and the coal, and a colt the foal of an ass. This was fulfilled in two separate places in the Old Testament. And why was it important for Jesus to say that many times? This is the fulfilling of that. This is what fulfilled that. Why? Because it gave credence, it gave power to what the Lord said would take place, and it gave authority to those who spoke before. He showed the people afterwards that those that He spoke through before... He was in them. He was their mouthpiece. He fulfilled the very thing He said He would do. And the Lord was very zealous toward that to show that everything that was written before time in the Old Testament, everything will be fulfilled in the New. And Jesus was the fulfillment of that. So our two passages this morning, Isaiah 62.11 says, Behold, the Lord has proclaimed unto the end of the world... Say you to the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy salvation cometh. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work is before him. That's the fulfillment of that one. But also Zechariah 9.9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass, and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. We have no problem with Jesus getting off of one and getting on to the other on this long journey into Jerusalem. So we have the fulfillment of Scripture. I'm not here to debate why the other three only mention one. It doesn't matter. As I said, the donkey or donkeys have their purpose. It's not to be the focus of the passage. That's what Christ is, the King of glory, who's coming in triumphantly. But it's interesting, he's coming on a meek and lowly animal. But that animal has already been mentioned in the Old Testament as signifying man. Job said it in Job eleven twelve: For vain man would be wise, though man be born like a wild ass's colt. Man is untamed. We are all formed in sin and iniquity. We are all fallen in Adam. Man is that way. We must be tamed. We must be subdued. We must be born again. We must know the new birth in our souls. Christ does that. And then we think, oh, well, everything's good after that. We'll never sin again. But that's not the case. We find that we sin every day. So we need Him every day. We need Him every hour. We need Him, and that's what our text is showing us today. One moment, in our mouths we can be praising the Lord, saying, Hosanna, praise Him, there's our King of glory. And the next minute, be saying, crucify Him, or murmuring or complaining of the things that God's providence brings into our life because we don't believe that we're worthy of those things or we should have those things. So may the Holy Spirit examine us. Verse 6 says, And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded. 
And they did. And they brought the ass and the colt and put on them their clothes and they set him thereon. As you see the donkey's purpose now. He's below Christ. He's sitting, I mean, he's standing there and the Lord has put upon him. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and strawed them in the way. They were looking for a king. They were looking for the king. You and I today, we shout Hosanna because of our king. But is he your king? Were they wrong to look at him as a king? Well, Jesus said these words. He said in John 18, 37, Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? This is when he was on trial, so to speak. Jesus answered him, he said, Thou sayest I am a king. To this end was I born. And for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. I am a king, Jesus said. Paul wrote in Romans 14, 9, For to this end Christ both died and rose and revived, revived that He might be the Lord both of the dead and of the living. The Lord is the Lord over all the dead and all the living. He is the Lord coming triumphant into Jerusalem. So as I ask you, was it wrong for them to straw these things? Was it wrong for them to exalt Him as King? Was it wrong for them to say that He was the Messiah? No, it wasn't. He was the Messiah. He was the, the, as they said, the son of David. And all of these things they rightfully did in praising the Lord Jesus of His triumphal, triumphant entry. I think about that on the spiritual realm and I think about that in our everyday life. When the Holy Spirit quickens us daily, when He brings Christ to mind, when Christ reveals Himself in us, Praise is on our lips. The hosannas are in our soul. We're crying out to the Lord, praise you, thank you, Lord, for what you have done. But when Christ is hidden from us, when our own sin is ever before us, when we're in the committing of the sin, when we're walking in the sin, when we're not walking after Christ, when those moments that Christ is hidden, what are our voices like? What do they say? Are we of the religious world that says, oh, well, we don't sin? I heard that. I was listening to a sermon this week, and a preacher was saying that about some in his congregation come up to him and said, why are you preaching about sin? Once we're born again, we don't sin anymore. How, how much of an error that is. Paul said it right this morning. When he said that, there's a part in us that never sins. But there is a part of us that continues to sin. And that deliverance that we have in the resurrection life of Christ that pictures that while we're still living is that the Lord triumphantly is over that. He defeated that. It will not reign over us. That sin that we commit does not have dominion over us because Christ has put it away. Christ has put it away as far as the east is to the west. We are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. His righteousness, not our own. And so that mortification that takes place in our life is so needful to trim off the dead. The dead must die that we must live. He is the Lord of the living and He is the Lord of the dead. 
And so we go on this morning and then we find our text. The multitudes that went before and that cried and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he that comes, cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. As I said, we'll stop right there for a while. We'll sit and we'll ponder these words. They cried out to the Messiah. They owned him as the Messiah. This is where we turn the time and in the word and the time in this portion of our sermon this morning that I ask the Lord to turn everything inwardly to us, to make it alive in our soul, to put us in this place. Have we experienced these times that we do cry out to the Lord, that we do praise Him, that His praise is ever upon us? Are those times more than the other times? Now, there may be times you don't think that, But Christ is victorious. Christ is the way. Christ is the life. And that life is a living life. It is that living hope. It is that living faith. It is that living love. And that's what we experience on a daily basis as the Lord reveals His power in us to do so. So the multitudes went before. They cried out, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is He that comes in the name of the Lord. Now listen, I got Psalm 118 this morning. I have a two verses for you that David wrote. He said, Save now, I beseech thee. This is 25 and 26, by the way. Psalm 118. Save now, I beseech thee, O Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee. Send now prosperity. David's talking about his soul. He's, he's a king. He's not talking about worldly things. He's not talking about money. He's not talking about gold. He's not talking about war victories. He's talking about his soul. Send, Lord, prosperity. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. Do you have this morning a house of the Lord? That's the biggest question that's set before us. In your house of the Lord, which is your soul, does it house the Lord Jesus Christ? I can't answer that for anybody in this room. I have trouble answering that for myself sometimes. But the Lord answers that and tells us, yes, I am the life of your soul. I am the life of your life. I am the reason you live. I am the reason you praise me. I am the reason you have love in your heart. I am the reason that you believe. Oh, Lord, help my unbelief. I am the reason that you love. Oh, Lord, help my hardness. Help the times that I don't show love. This is the struggle that we live with every day. As I said, it's easy for us to come to a passage like this and and be down on these people. It's very easy. It's easy for us to look at them and say, oh, how horrible. He was the king. You, You noticed he was king, and then all of a sudden you turn on him. And as I said, I wonder how many of us go through this on a daily basis. And we get to those sins and when the Lord reveals how, how horrible they are and how, how much their unbelief is in them and how hard our hearts are and how much we murmur against the Lord's providence and we murmur against what the Lord has brought in our life. <clears throat> and we say, how did I get here? How could one moment I praise the Lord and the next moment I don't? And we're told that. We're told that all in the Old Testament when Rebecca had those two sons in her. You have two natures in you. It was a picture of that. The Song of Solomon told us the same thing, that in the church there's two armies warring constantly 
That's our old and our new nature. So as we look through these, this passage, the rest of the sermon this morning, I want you to follow with me. And maybe the Holy Spirit, if He's willing, if, if His desire to plow our souls this morning, that we find ourselves in this number. And not only do we find ourselves in this number, but we find ourselves at the end of what we have to say today and that the Lord brings us to repentance. So I'd like you now to turn with me just over a few pages. Same people. We're going to go over here to Matthew 27 now. Now the trial is taking place. I hesitate to call that a trial because it was certainly not a righteous trial. But Matthew 27, I want to focus in this morning on verse 20. But the chief priest and the elders persuaded the multitude, that multitude that four days ago, many of this multitude are still there. They followed Jesus when he came in there. When he spent those days there, they were following wherever he went. And now that multitude is out there and they had an idea just four days ago that he was their deliverer. He was their king. And they accepted him, his kingship, based on the king that they wanted. They wanted to be delivered from Rome. They didn't want the Roman rule over them. And when they saw that that wasn't Jesus' plan, that Jesus was now at the hands of the Roman state and they had, their, they had His life in their hands, they said, we don't want this king anymore. We don't want this guy anymore. Because He wasn't who they thought He was. And that's the question to this morning. Who is Christ to you? Is He who you thought he was. I can honestly say when I was a young man and I learned the first days of, of uh, when I was brought up in the church and they told me who Jesus Christ was, I had an idea of who Jesus was in my young life. He was not the one I know now. I had a whole different idea of who Jesus Christ was in my early life. And it wasn't a saving knowledge. It wasn't a knowledge of the true Christ, the Son of the living God. Verse 20 said, But the chief priests and elders persuaded in the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. It wasn't enough just to say the words. It wasn't enough to say we want Barabbas. The, the, the religious leaders were telling them, we... This is not who you think it is. This is not the Messiah. This is not the King. This is not the one that you're waiting for. He's, that, he's not Him. He's an imposter. Let's put Him to death. And I want you to understand that our nature, our fallen nature, is just as strong as their fallen nature. We would do the same thing if we weren't what Brother Paul said this morning, preserved and kept. That's the only way. That's what makes the difference in a child of God's life. It's grace. It's preserving grace. And you know it. Because you know you murmur against the Lord. You know you say, well, I don't come out and say it against God. I don't come out and say, Lord, you did this. Maybe not. But your heart is complaining. Your heart is murmuring. Why? Because you won't have this man to reign over you the way that he has brought in his sovereign purpose and plan into your life. 
the governor answered and said unto them, Whether of the twain will you, 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 will ye that I release unto you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate said unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? And oh, was that offensive to them. Don't call him the anointed one. He's not our anointed one. And they said unto him, Let him be crucified. So not only did they call out for Barabbas, but they called out for the death of what they believed to be an imposter. Oh boy, doesn't our anger and our indignation just get up in us and we say, oh God, how could they do that? How could that? James said that in his epistle. He said, how can we curse out of one side of our mouth and how can we love or, or bless out of the other side of our mouth? These things ought not to be that way. And they ought not to be, dear ones. They really should. But I am reminded every time I fall and every time the Lord picks me up and restores my soul, He reveals to me that this isn't heaven. This isn't heaven where sin isn't present. This isn't heaven where my old nature will never find its way there. This is earth. This is my plight here. This is why the Lord weans us from this earth. This is why He causes the child of God to desire to depart from down here. Because of this sin nature that we have all of our lives. The governor said, what evil has he done? But they said, they cried out the more, saying, let him be crucified. Now keep those two thoughts in your mind. Four days earlier, they're saying, Hosanna, rescue us. Save us, Lord. You're our king. We've been waiting for you. Four days later, crucify him. We want Barabbas. So what happens? Let's turn over to Acts 2. While you're turning there, I'm going to say one thing. How was it these people were kept? Well, Jesus said it this way in Luke 23, 34. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them. Oh, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted His raiment and they cast lots. Jesus prayed for them. We, we, we encounter that early when Peter... When the Lord said to Peter, Satan would have to sift you as wheat. But the Lord said, I have prayed for you, Peter. You say, well, wait a minute. There's times in this life that I am sifted as wheat. You're right. Peter was sifted as wheat. But he's kept eternal. You and I are kept eternal. And as it was said, as we fall, the Lord lifts us back up in Him washes and cleanses us from all unrighteousness and reveals to us the way, the only way in the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So now let's look at our text here in, in Acts chapter 2. And we'll just begin, I won't read the whole thing, we'll just start in 21. And it shall come to pass, this is Peter speaking, remember Peter spoke, uh, raised up at the the day of Pentecost and, and had a sermon to say and he said this and it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
What a true statement that is. That whosoever is a secure number. It's the number of the elect that the Lord has ordained from the foundation of the world. And every one of them will be emptied of self to be brought to call out to the Lord, Lord, save me or I perish. Lord, save me. And this isn't just one time. We need saving daily from this old nature. We need cleansing in the fountain of His blood daily from this old nature. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by Him in the midst of you as ye yourselves also know. Peter's Peter, thank God the Lord sent him a preacher. How will they hear without a preacher? The Lord, Paul told us, through the foolishness of preaching, He's ordained man to hear the gospel. Preach, uh, Paul is now standing before them, and he's recounting, and he's, and he's bringing to their knowledge. He says, you know, you remember the, all of those things that he did. You remember all of the miracles he performed. which God did by Him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. Don't miss that. Because I'm going to tell you something. When the Holy Spirit comes to these people and He tells them that they're the ones that put Him on the cross, it was their sin, they were the ones saying crucify Him, they were the ones saying Barabbas, Peter, in, in the loving mercy of our Lord to provide the gospel truth, he shows them that this was the plan of salvation long before these people were ever there. Long before. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. This was God's plan of salvation. No man was going to thwart it. No man. Ye have taken, and by your wicked hands have crucified and slain Him. Peter did not mix words. He said, you were the ones in that crowd. You were saying that. And I'm only talking about the people of God here. That's who Peter has addressed this to. You'll see that's how this text ends. It's the people of God that were pricked in the heart. It's the people who were, who were shown new life. It's the ones that were given new life. It's the ones who said, yes, I'm the one who crucified. It's my sins that put Him on it. They're not pointing to the Romans. They're not pointing to the Jews. The finger comes back to the child of God. He came to bear my sins. He came to pay the price of my sins. He came to set me free by paying the debt. He came to satisfy the justice of His Father. And He did so perfectly. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain whom God hath raised up. He's raised Him from the grave. He is raised. He's no longer in that tomb. That's what Peter's saying. I'm preaching the resurrection of Christ. Paul preached the resurrection of Christ, the life that we have because of the resurrection. And this forgiveness and this repentance that they're going to be granted is because of the resurrection. It's because of the new life. It's because of life in Christ. Whom God has raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that He should be holding up. 
He defeated death. Death has no, no claim to you and I because of Him. For David speaketh concerning Him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for He is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. Moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thy Holy One to see corruption. He paid the debt. He went through hell itself and not the physical hell, but the hell of being forsaken of His Father, turning His back upon Him because He was made sin for us, who knew no sin, that we could be reconciled to the Father. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher with us unto this day. He's comparing the one... You, you exalt David so much, but the sepulcher of our Lord is empty. He's alive. He is the Son of God. He is in the line of David, but He is the Son of God. And His sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to Him that the fruit of His loins, that's Christ, According to the flesh, He would raise up Christ to sit on His throne. He, seeing this before, spoke of the resurrection of Christ, that His soul was not left in hell, neither His flesh did see corruption. And we said that last week. We quoted David then, because David saw it. He saw the resurrection of Christ. He saw His own resurrection in Christ. This Jesus hath God raised up whereof we are all witnesses. The tomb is empty, Peter said. And remember, Luke is the one that's accounting this. The Holy Spirit is telling the story, but it's through Luke, the author, who wrote one of the Gospels. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, that's where he's at now, reigning on behalf of you and I, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, He has shed forth this, which you, you now see and hear. For David has not ascended into the heavens, but he hath, himself, he hath said himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand. That's how David saw Christ, sitting at the right hand of the Father, reigning. That's how you and I today, as what Hosanna comes out of our mouth, as we say, save us, Lord. Rescue us from ourselves. Rescue us from this untoward generation. Rescue us from this world. Rescue us from the clutches of the devil. How, do we, how can we cry out to Him because He's alive, because He's risen, because He's reigning? That is the triumph we have in Him. until I make thy foes thy footstool. What foes are those? The ones I just enumerated. The flesh, the world, the devil, sin, death. He's defeated them all. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly 
that God has made that same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Remember what Jesus said to this end, I am King. I am the King of kings and I am the Lord of lords. That's what Paul wrote in Romans I read. To this end, He is the King of the dead and of the living. Jesus said, and Paul, Peter says the same thing right here. Whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart, and they said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? They're, they're, they're sitting there, they've been brought to the end of themselves, but they understand their sin. They're looking, they're saying, it was us. We're the ones that put Him on the cross. It was our sin. We did this. They're, in, they're panicking. And they, ask, they cry out and they say, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, repent. That's the goodness of God, Romans tells us. It's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. It's the almighty work of the Lord coming to the soul to give and grant forgiveness and repentance. Because there's no other way. No man is going to tell you to repent and you're going to turn around and repent. Not out of your soul. It must be the power of the Lord. It must be the Lord speaking His voice to you saying, Repent. For I, if you confess your sins, I am faithful and just to forgive you all of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's 1 John 1, 9, by the way. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then... They were gladly received. They gladly received his word. Were, then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about three thousand souls. That's how the Lord works. That's how the Lord brings his children to salvation. That's how. That's how faithful he is to do so. Oh, may the Lord add to His church today. And there's no other way it'll be added. No altar call, no man's work, no nothing. It'll be Him and Him alone. May the Lord be pleased to bless these words today to your soul. Let us pray. Oh Lord, glorify Thy name. Bring us, Lord, to say and to praise Thy name with those hosannas. And forgive us, Lord, when we murmur and complain. Lord, show us the way that's in Thy Son. Put a hedge about us as we go from this place. And Lord, may You strengthen us and bring us back again as it pleases You to worship in spirit and in truth. For this I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.